Hey, this is David Vitterman, the Cobra. You're listening to the Moto X Pod Show. Hi, this is Pookie Mathis, and you're listening to the Moto X Pod Show, bro. After a week off, glad to be back for episode 133 of the Moto X Pod show. It's a little black country communion taking us into this episode. Uh, that is Glenn Hughes, Joe Bonamassa, and um, Jason Bonham, son of John Bonham. So yeah, pretty awesome super group. You guys check them out, Black Country Communion. Uh, this is going to be, again, a quick intro been an insane week already at work and i barely have had time to do any prep or anything but for episode 133 we've got greg albertson coming on with gay moto coaching you know he's obviously the brother of jimmy albertson got andy greg owner of guts racing seat covers and uh geico honda's carson muffer is going to come on talk about loretta's and his first pro race this last weekend at unadilla unadilla was obviously amazing with Kenny Roxon just destroying the field. Um, yeah, we're not even going to talk about all that stuff right now, though. We're just going to do a quick intro. Uh, this week we are giving away a set of women's light hydrogen gear from Fly Racing. So I need all the ladies that listen to get their emails into motoxpodshow at gmail.com or just go to the Show. Dot com uh, website obviously and click on the contact link either way contact me if you want the women's light hydrogen i want to hear from the ladies that listen i know i've heard a couple already say stuff on twitter and instagram that they're interested so send me an email and next week we will announce the winner we always talk about patreon.com patreon is a way to support us at the moto x pod show financially you guys can you know do five dollars a month or whatever it goes into our account and just like this last like th- i think i may have mentioned on the last show we ordered a new mixing board that actually came in today we'll try to get it hooked up this weekend and uh you know that was should help with some of the sound issues over the past couple months i think that's going to make things a little better um as i'm sitting here looking at the sound going up and down and i'm not even touching anything crazy so yeah this mixer i think is having some issues hopefully the sound is okay out there um, but patreon.com help us out and I'm going to be doing a show it just jumped up I, I, I'm sure you guys are hearing this thing going up and down I'm not touching anything it's just going up and down crazy don't know what to do um, hopefully that's going to be fixed next episode um, anyway we're going to do I'm doing I'm working on a show with uh, another wives girlfriends lady show whatever you want to call it I'm doing I'm going to have Brittany Osborne on Thursday night, I'm going to do some record with Pookie Mathis, and I am trying to set up some time with Jennifer Martin, sister of Alex and Jeremy. So we're going to, and I'm going to post that on the, for the Patreon subscribers. Once I get it done, I'm going to post it for a week. They'll get it a week early. 
So that's one of the little benefits of doing, supporting us on Patreon. Um, anyway, uh, MXDN team was announced. I, I love it. I think Zach Osborne's a perfect pick for team captain. I think Jason Anderson proved the last time he was there that he he means business when he goes. He's going to do well, I believe. And Justin Cooper said on this show a few months ago that that was one of his goals was to be on the team this year. So good for Justin. I'm glad that that worked out. Um, yeah, so that's really about it for this intro. Uh, I've got a few more minutes before I have to get Greg Albertson on, and I've still got some prep to do. So take a quick break, and we will be back with Greg Albertson. Okay, our first guest of the night is brought to you by Blood Lubricant Oil Lines, which are created to bring out the highest level of performance and protection for all types of racing. Blood Lubricants has three series of oil to fit your needs, as well as chain lube, degreaser, and polyclean. Whether you ride moto, race dirt track, or anything else, visit bloodlubricants.com for your oil needs today. Blood Lubricants brings us Greg Albertson. What's up, dude? Oh, not a whole lot, man. Just kind of getting back to work after the, uh, the Loretta Lynn's hangover. Yeah, how uh, how was that for you as a trainer and a training facility? A lot goes into Loretta's, and I'm sure once it's over, it's like just just calm almost. I don't know. I can't even imagine what it's like. Yeah, I think it just depends on on who you are and the families. And I mean, just getting back into this um, after years of you know growing up with my family and my brother being a top level amateur rider, and then on to the pros, and now back, it's it's come full circle circle for me. So uh, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, the last few weekends I'd been at the races with John Short Nationals again and, and I roll in and, you know, it's kind of business as usual. And um, and I tell you what, rolling up Florida lens, um, especially now that I've got, you know, I had 10 students, 10, 10 full-time students there. It was just, oh, wow. uh, they're just the nerves, the nerves came back and, and it was just <laughs> one of those things because it's not, there's not all, there's not next weekend, you know, it's next year. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, right. Things aren't like they used to be. It's, uh, there, there's, I mean, but that's really the only national that's carrying real weight, um, as far as the amateur stuff goes. Um, back in, back when we were doing it 2000, you know, to 2006, it was, uh, there was, there was some more bigger nationals that, that carried, carried weight as well. But now Loretta's is just, it's, it's it, man. And why do you think that is? I mean, there's still, you know, you've still got Freestone, you've got, uh, you know, a few others, but why, and Ponca, but why is, why do you think the other ones have sort of dropped off in importance? I mean, I feel like Witten um, was, was really big. That was one of the big ones. And then the World Mini in Vegas and um, then also uh, Florida. So I think, yeah. and, and from asking families and, and kids and parents now, it sounds like Florida is, is the second biggest after Loretta's, um, if, if you talk to anybody or, or carries the most weight. So one thing I can think of is, is, is heritage and, and like it, it's consistent, you know, um, gotcha. I feel like if Lake Whitney was still around or it was done the same one, it, it, but when you try to move a venue like that, you're starting from scratch, you know, the, the Ponca thing. I mean, obviously I think all the NMA races that were big back in the day, um, just, it was a greed thing, um, the NMA and, and they did well for us for very long, but they didn't, they never put any of that money back. Um, the, the races, Ponca city just became a disaster. Um, uh-huh. Branson national, um, and, and the Vegas national just, it, there was never any, they weren't updating the tracks. They weren't giving anything back. It was just kind of take, take as much money. In. And I know Loretta's is expensive, but I mean, it's, 
it's a week. Um, you know, people go there to vacation. It is, but they, they put, they spend a lot of money on the tracks. They, they make sure, um, it seems like they make sure everybody has a good, the best experience they can. So I don't know. I, I would just say that, that that's the only one that's been consistent. Yeah. And there's all these new nationals popping up, but I mean, that that's probably besides mammoth, which is, you know, all the way on one side of the country. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the only one. Mammoth Loretta's and and um, many O's are the only ones that are the same um, in the last fifteen twenty years. It's been the same, right? And with the state of amateur racing right now, you know, we hear a lot of the like Mathis and the other guys talk about the training facilities, and these kids don't race all the time anymore. Do you? You know, you're involved with some of this. You have a training facility, GameMotoCoaching dot com. What do you think about that, that these kids aren't racing every weekend? They're spending their weeks just training and, um, you know, give me, give me your opinion. Um, I think for me, um, a professional dirt bike racer is somebody that, that makes a living doing it or races. And the only way to go do that is as amateurs go racing and make a tendency or as an A-rider, go to local racing. There's not as much local races as there used to be, um, yeah. I, I don't feel like. Um, I mean, there is, but there's not, they're not, they don't carry the weight, so... For me, um, I, I was very active with, with our facility in the Oklahoma State Series, um, going to as many as possible with okay. my kids. Um, so I, I believe that racing is huge. Um, as far as the facilities, I do think it it, it is a downfall in the, in the sport, honestly. Um, but you have to do it to keep up. Like, um, There's just no way. I mean, if you can practice every day on race conditions, um, deep, watery, loam stuff like, like the Nationals, then like – that's, that's awesome. There just wasn't that. There, there was never that before. There was nowhere to get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the closest thing that you used to be able to do to get that was be out in Southern California, and you've got tracks that are businesses that can be prepped and watered every day, um, and lots of bikes. So the only place in the United States to do that for the longest time was Southern California um, until the facility, um, I guess, mold came to be. And um, it's just... Uh, it's just a necessary evil at this point to keep up and it, it's got to be done. But I do think that, uh, I mean, I, I urge my guys that can afford it, um, to, to go race, um, twice a month. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was going to ask on that the am, on the amateur side, on the amateur sure. side, obviously on the pro side, there's, there's a race every, every weekend. If, you know, there's 33 races a, a year that you almost got to go do. Right. And I was, I was going to ask that. Do you, do you think like a couple races a month, getting some gate drops, getting that close action, would be beneficial because to me, I mean, I, I, I think that you can't mimic race pace. You know, you just can't, no matter how much these guys go train and ride with each other. It's just not the same. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, it, it can be, but yeah, it's for me, it's not. Um, you, you spend your money, you go to a race. I don't care if there's no competition uh, and there's people there. There's people on the fences. that don't have any time. I mean, you're at a race um, and yeah, there's always, I feel like there's always, you can find another gear a lot of times or, or a mind state. Um, and, and it's, and I don't care if it's a small race, you're still going to get that little bit of butterflies or nerves. Um, I, I just think that there's, that there's a lot that you can only learn by racing. Um, granted, you're going to go to local races and, you know, even the bigger classes like the, let's say the B, the B classes, um, obviously the C classes, the only ones that are close to even full gates, but 
you know, you're taken out with the most, uh, you know, in the B class at a, at a decent local race, 15 guys, which mm-hmm. I mean, I can almost, I can almost duplicate that at my facility. Um, okay. So it's not, yeah. it's just, I think it's just that there you go, you pay your entries, you got your schedule, your race, you know, your, your, let's say your race six and 16, you, you time your thing, you kind of get a little bit of race day practice for an amateur. Granted, um, I mean, it's, it's for pro pros, it's completely different, but for amateurs, I think, yeah, you got to go do that. And, uh, I mean, I've noticed, people don't put any weight on these local races. I, I've struggled with kids and families. I'll bring them to these races and they say, I'm, we're getting a little static there, but uh, yeah, I bring kids to these local races and I've heard from even their parents, oh, it's just, it's just a, it's always oh, just a local race. Oh, we're going to skip the last moto so we can get home early. It's like, there's just like a bullshit mentality in my, in my mind. Like as a kid, like we were raised to finish and we always stay to the end. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. A lot of people are like in a hurry to leave the track like they got something better to do. I mean, at at let's let's say, I mean, the, the youngest kid I had this year was 14, and that was on purpose. Uh, I am going to start a mini bike program next okay. year. I just knew I couldn't do that without hiring help. But let's say that like if 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 you're under the age of 16, 17 years old, and there's somewhere better to be than the dirt bike track, <laughs> then you might as well just quit right now. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Something else because. If, yeah, if I, I just see that as families. Oh well, we don't want to be there all day. It's like, what the fuck else do you have to do? <laughs> Seriously, like if if that's not number one at this point, then don't come spend your money with me. Because telling you what, you're just you're just burning it if you don't have that passion for it to just want to be at the dirt bike track all day. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Like me and my brother and friends, we'd stay at the track, you know, and until everybody was done riding, so we could go backwards on the track, or so we could jump and jump sideways, like we yep. could do stuff like that. We'd spend all day, and we were there with our families, and like I don't know, it's turned into a bit more of like families look at it like maybe it's a good thing because they see Supercross and they see racers making money and they think, oh, yeah, we've got to get in and get our time in and get out. But it's not a mindset that's going to be, um, I, I think, uh, it's not going to get you. It's not a mindset that's going to get you anywhere because at the end of the day, it's got to be something you're just super passionate about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Over the last couple of years, I've had guys like Carson Mumford and Ryder D and Jet Reynolds on, some, you know, California kids that are up and coming. And I talked to him like, what do you guys do? You know, when you're not riding all the time, how do you like break off and have fun? And like, Oh, well, we go, we got in the desert and we still play ride. Like they, those kids, those three in particular, anyway, still do that. Or they, they get on their BMX bikes and they go find jumps or whatever, you know? So that, yeah, that's there. They don't, those three kids anyway, don't seem like they're ready to go do something else. They want to be riding. And I think that's probably like you, you're kind of hitting at that it, that's that's what it takes. I mean, you got to love it. You got to want it, and um, that's kind of interesting to me that you say that that those kids like want to leave early. Like I'm at 44, I'm still a trophy whore. Like I I want my trophy. Yeah. I want my plaque. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I paid good money to go out there and get my three or four or whatever five laps in that I get at my plus 40 class. So I I, I want to stick around. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned John Short a little bit ago. Uh, I, I saw you guys at uh, WW Ranch, I believe it was, was when you guys were you were was the first weekend you had helped him. Um, oh no, uh, Mill, Millville. I it was Millville. Okay. This year, yeah, yeah. Only helped with Millville. There was a, there was an issue at WW Ranch um, that was just that's not, right, not a big issue. Just something, just something, something small that happened with the whole shot device. Yeah, oversight. Just um, and then there was you know, it's just when you're running your own program. Um, and, and you got your buddies helping you out on the weekends. There's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, it's not. Um, there's a reason why a professional is a professional, and there's a reason why it takes money to get a professional off, you know, out of the house into a race. So um, 
I just think, you know, he called me and obviously he had, he had had some decent motos, mm-hmm. um, you know, or some rides, but ne- he had before that year, I, before Millville hadn't put two motos together. Um, so kind of went up there to, to help him out at Millville and just see what we could do with, as far as what I could help. I mean, I wasn't able to really make his bike any better. Maybe a couple clickers here or there adjustments, um, maybe like cold shot device stuff, but more just of a, a coaching thing and just making sure he doesn't have to watch over me, you know, when he, you know, between motos, he doesn't got to worry about, you know, making sure that I've got the, you know, I'm tightening bolts or right. making sure I'm, I'm doing certain things, you know, with, with, with your buddies, you know, John's a pretty decent mechanic. And when, when you are a decent mechanic, you, you tend to watch over the people that are watch, wrenching on your bikes if you, if you think you can do a better job. Yeah, that's right. Cause at WW Ranch, uh, it was, uh, one of his sponsors, I believe I, that's right. I met him and yeah, they were having a little bit of issue. The guy, you know, was a very nice guy, but not maybe completely. No, up. and he's a, and he's an awesome guy. Like he was at Millville, he did a good job. He helped me out on some stuff. Gave me like, but like just little oversights. Like uh, they 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 made a fork. I think they made a fork height change. Yeah. Um, and got to the line and the um the whole shot device. You know, you twist the fork to push it up or down a little bit, and it wasn't lined up. Something anybody could do. Um. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So when you go and it's not there to line up, but you don't got a bag of tools on you to, to turn it right away or you don't, you know, just little stuff that you, you got to make that mistake to learn. And, and believe me, I've been doing this wrenching professionally since I was 17 years old. Um, I've made that mistake myself. So the only way to, only, a lot of the times the only way to learn is to make that mistake. So I, I've, I've made all those mistakes <laughs> in my day. So kind of uh, to the point where, uh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't make them again. Sure. Well, well, John seems to be having his best results over the last three rounds since you've been helping him. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he's getting a lot of hype through um, – I know teams are aware of him. You know, Mathis has talked about him a lot. That That's good stuff. I, I, I really hope that some big things are coming for John because I do like John a lot. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think he's got a lot of stuff on his plate, and, and if he can pull some of that stuff off of his plate, then I think the results are going to come. Yeah. Um, and a lot of time it's 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 one percent, you know, a, a, a one a, something even during the moto, a, a, something a one percent change can can make a, a five to ten position difference. Um, it, it doesn't take much. So, you know, with I think with my biggest thing, uh, I'll credit. I think the starting. I mean, I, I really with starts, um, whether I was working for my brother or Trey or anybody, I really starting was one of those things that I always just when I wrote when I ride myself, it's the only thing I, I, I can actually say I'm good at <laughs> on a dirt bike. I, I ride for fun, but starts, I think, is a lot of just, um, for me, observations and you just, you know, and trial and error and picking stuff out. So, I mean, just, I think in, in the in the first, the two more races I went with John was Millville and Washougal. Um, those were his four, four best starts of the year, yep. um, and I, I don't mind taking credit for that. We, we ran three different, four different uh, hole shot device heights, in, or three different heights in, four, in those four motos. Um, but it, it, it's not that John, John's a great starter, but, man, at that level, it doesn't take much to just start, you know, the difference between a, a fourth-place start and a, and a, and a 15th-place start isn't, isn't a whole lot. Right. It could be just a little gate packing or a hole shot device height or you know, we don't have. I know John doesn't have any start maps in bike. Um, so you know, whole, the 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 one thing we could control at the races was full traction was whole shot device height. That's awesome. I'm glad that you've helped him. Um, you talked about you know starting wrenching at 17. 
Um, so I, how did, how did you, like, where did your involvement with Moto and your brother Jimmy's involvement start from? Was that family related or did you guys, how'd you guys discover Moto? Okay. So my dad, just like any other kid, you know, you kind of see what a motorcycle dirt bike was. He always wanted one and he could afford to buy one himself. He, he bought a street bike and, you know, then he had some kids and, um, then he, you know, said, Hey, it'd be cool to have bikes for the kids so yeah. he uh he bought a, a, a had a yz 490 he, he he knew what the you know he, he knew what racing was and had been to the carlsbad gp out in san diego at the time and uh yeah so when in, in 92 when he moved back to missouri he, he got a uh got me a little pw50 and he got uh got himself a wr250 and we just kind of started riding together and within six months jimmy was on a bike and i was on a 60 and just just for fun man that's all it was yeah, that's that's how a lot of us get started. Um, and at some point, obviously, Jimmy started getting really fast, and you said you you know basically you're good at starts, and that's it. Was there a point where you knew like, hey, okay, I've I've got I kind of want to start focusing on being a mechanic or wrenching on bikes? Uh, like, did you mentally <laughs> think about that, or did it just sort of happen? No, um, I mean, I like riding. I, I fear. I was scared, man. I just like I was. I was never the kid that. You know, I didn't want to jump off the high dive. I didn't want to do backflips. I didn't uh. want to, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't. Uh, so, racing and, and riding bikes, I like riding bikes, but then the racing thing scared me. Okay. You know, it was funny because the start did scare me, and it wasn't <laughs> until I got I, – I could ride good. Jimmy started going faster than me when I was about 12 or 13. We're, we're only a year and a half apart. Yeah. He started going faster than me when he was 11. I was 12. So, um, and at that point, you know, I see kids now nowadays that, that were much slower than me. You know, at at you know age ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, even that that are trying and think they're going to be pros. But I think the moment my brother was faster than me, and it was already you know, hey, maybe my maybe Jimmy can make a living out of it. You know, it was mm-hmm. never a thought, but it was like, hey, it'd be cool if he could go race the Supercross one day or whatever. So for me, it was never a thing. Um, and then you you get to that age where it doesn't matter um, whether your parents or your dad or your mom are telling you something that's, that's good or right, you know, but you just don't want to take advice from your, from your parents. Um, and at that, that age, me and my brother had a pretty good respect for each other. He had, he always looked up to me, um, I think, uh, and, and, and cared about what I had to say. So my dad just came to me and not as a mechanic, but just said, Hey, I, I will you start, you know, taking Jimmy to the line because uh, there's, there was not a friction, but just, uh, you know, just your dad. And yeah. It's just that teenage was, mentality. Yeah, and it wasn't so much teenage, but, you know, then there's the nervousness of, you know, of having your son, you know, race. I mean, it's dangerous. Okay. So he's carrying anxiety and stress on himself, you know. That, I don't, I know that from reading and the coaching and, and what I've been doing, you know. If you're at the lines with somebody and you're carrying anxiety and stress, whether you think you showed or not, you're going to pass that over. Yeah, for so, sure. So, um, that's how I got into it as far as, and that was just taking the line. It wasn't anything else. I mean, I, school was very easy for me. Um, high school, um, I, I was planning on going to, um, a, uh, engineering college in, in Rolla, Missouri, UMR. And, uh, it was never even a thought to, to, to wrench on bikes, um, until, um, Jimmy just needed it, honestly. Um, okay. he, he missed that, that last year when he was 16, he, Loretta's, he got a second and, I think a third missed in the pro sport class. I mean, we're talking second and third behind Josh Hill. Um, and he didn't, uh, 
they didn't get a ride. So at that point, I graduated high school and, uh, we, uh, we just packed up and we, we got in our motor home. Um, and our house that we didn't have any kind of money. Our, our house got hit by a tornado in 2006. So my dad used all the insurance money, bought a motor home that we never had, you know, we'd never had a motor home up to that point. And he was renting some piece of shit little house <laughs> that him and my mom were living in. Um, while, while, uh, you know, he burned up all the insurance money to, to, to buy a motorhome for his two kids to go to California and live in and chase a dream. So I that's mean, that was, impressive. That was pretty spectacular. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't until it wasn't until six or seven years later that my dad was able to get himself on the seat to rebuild that house that he, he spent all the insurance money on on that motorhome. Wow. That, that's a that's a pretty that's a hell of a story. I mean, parents do a lot for the kids, but that that's the next level stuff right there. Yeah, it was awesome. My dad, you know, my my my, my dad loved it more than anything. He loved the sport. Um, it was always funny going to the races with my brother and, and uh, people going, "Oh, your dad's not here." You know, he doesn't. You know, and this is time Jimmy. Jimmy'd have a ride. You know, maybe a sixty thousand dollars salary deal, and I'd be there wrenching. And, oh, oh, where's your dad? He doesn't want to come. Like, <laughs> no, of course he wants to come. He wants, to, but he's not going to make his his son that's making a sixty thousand dollars salary pay for a flight to get him to a rate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah. Think that too much out of out of parents that that want to be there, I think, to watch your kids, but don't. Sometimes you got to just know when to, to let go and when it makes sense. I see a lot of, see a lot of that. So my, yeah, my dad was one of the most selfless people I've ever met. And he, he loved this sport. He loved, he loved the fact that me and my brother got to do, do what he always, you know, wanted to do. And that, and it wasn't necessarily race professionally. I think it was just be around motorcycles and get to do what you love every day. Right. Now you so you you wrenched for your brother at a privateer level. Um, you were Trey Kennard's practice bike mechanic. Um, was there ever an opportunity for you to become a factory mechanic? Was there ever an offer out there? Was that something you even wanted? Yeah, um, there was there was a test. You know, kind of at Honda, there was a, there was a position open um, testing gig mm-hmm. um, that that I I could have went after, but after hearing about the salary and after being out there with Trey, I mean, it worked. When I was a practice bike guy, I would go to Torrance two, three times a week um, and, and work with the guys there on the practice bike stuff. And really enjoyed working with that, that crew, but knowing, like, that's all the money I could make, and I'd be there at the shop every day um, making that drive. Uh, it just it, it didn't it didn't entice me. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. Um, I really did like the, the, the grind part of the week better. I mean, for me, I, I, was, I was much... At the times I was just a race bike mechanic, um, I felt a little helpless when the result was not there. Uh-huh. Um, like I had no control. You know, if you get stuck, you're not stuck with the rider, but you are. You're stuck with your guy for the year, you know? Right. So if you're there in the shop and you show up on the weekend and it's not there, then, well, guess what? Hey, I'm going to work on the bike during the week and we'll see you next weekend. You don't know what's going on during the week. I always felt like, as a mechanic, I, I, I had a had a direct, um, as a practice bike guy, I should say, had a had a direct impact on the result of my riders. I didn't always feel that as the race guy. Yeah, that, um, I can see that. I mean, that makes ob- sense. Obviously, I had that in, you, you have that rider's, you know, life in your hands and that bike's got to stay running and you've got to be able to make, so yeah, you did have that in the result, but not the, not the progress of the rider. And I felt like that as, as the practice bike guy, and I really love seeing the results and I loved the progression and I loved like picking apart the riders. And that's kind of, how I got to the, the training side of things. Um, I, I was a team manager for the Superstore team yep. the last time we last year we did it. Um, active manager Jim Lewis put a lot of the stuff together. Um, I just don't think he wanted the title, but I was doing that and, and uh, the 
I was in charge of the engine pool, um, not the R&D, but I was building all the engines and uh, and being team manager. And I, and I liked that. But when it when push came to shove, I, uh, I was – we're getting some static there. Oh, I, you sound fine on this end. Okay. Well, good. All right. Well, uh, so, yeah, so push come to shove, the Superstore team's going away, and it's like, what do I do? Do I go back into wrench it? Do we try to start another team or find a sponsor? And Jimmy, you know, um, had some stuff rolling that I, I was a part of, um, kind of stuff he's doing now. Um, I had really enjoyed doing the track building um, through Trey. Um, you know, I, I had learned to operate equipment well through Randy Poulter and, and Jason Baker. Okay. Uh, Dream Tracks and Randy Poulter Tracks. So had that on the side. And then the coaching, that was always something I did when I went back home, you know, with the name. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to just kind of do a little bit of everything. And then, man, it, it, it was about six months later I was doing the coaching. And I, I felt, man, I, I started thinking, man, I can, I really think I can be the best at this. So um, I just, you know, Trey's, Trey's property um, yep. that he trained at and rode at for years, which is, which is uh, HSBK Racing now, which is the the game um, training complex. Um, now I, I partnered with him, and I said, let's let's go ahead and do that. So we've been going for eleven months now, and uh, yeah, it's been going good. Yeah, and so I know John Lashore, who we talked about, comes up there sometimes. Um, is Austin Fortner and Benny Bloss are they riding out there too? Is that what I remember? No, 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 no. Austin and Benny, they're Missouri boys, so um, okay, them for a long time, uh, actually. One of the first schools I ever was teaching was Austin on a, on a 50 and a Cobra 65 even. Um, so him and him and my dad used to race each other. Oh wow! So yeah, so but then he would come to Trey's back in uh, when I was working there. Him and Benny both and ride on the weekends where Trey was gone or when I you know Trey's let me have people out there. And then Raynard, um, Robbie Raynard's got the the Raynard training uh, compound just just north of us, about 30 minutes. Okay. So they're up there. They're up there. So no, they haven't been down there this year since I've opened. But uh, yeah, they're only about thirty miles north of us. So gotcha. right now, my my elite guys are uh, are uh, my elite program, which is which is my full time training kids are uh, Grant Harlan, Nick Merritt. Oh, I know Grant. Um, right? Yeah, Bryce uh, Bryce Hansen, Brock Lassiter. Um, there, there's four or five more of them. But yeah, yeah, uh, it's 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 there. And then and then John, with his schedule being so hectic and contesting, he usually makes it up to ride about. Oh, I don't know, four to four to six times a month. Okay. Well, I, I definitely want to get up there. I, I know um, there's a possibility. I don't know if we are supposed to talk about it, but there's a possibility that there could be some testing being done out there um, when the 250 bikes drop. Um, or for, for, it's just, I, we actually talk, I, I spoke. I don't think it's uh, – I, I, I speak with, we'll just say Chris, uh, today about it, and it sounds like there might be a little 450 uh, – shootout going on out there so we're, okay. we're working to, to get that settled and uh i mean i don't i wasn't told not to talk about it so yeah um yeah so there's there's definitely some conversations there's some logistics that need to be worked out but um where i'm at i do have we have 90 acres we have two completely different two-minute tracks they don't intersect at all it's not like different paths they're two right. separate tracks one of them's a uh more of a red clay hard rut track and the other one's more of a sandier Melville buds creek style track um so we've got two tracks there that are definitely east coast tracks for sure that are going to be rough and beat up to uh maybe shake down some of these uh these new 450s a little bit yeah i'm excited i i hope to get to come up for that uh chris and i talked about it so hopefully i'll get to come up and hang out and maybe participate a little bit 
Before I let you go, though, I want to talk about your elite kids. Uh, how did everything go at Loretta's? Um, I know I know Grant Harlan did real well. Um, I, I was really impressed with what I saw from him. But how about the other guys? Um, so my I got a this whole AMA age thing. He's 15, but like, like quote unquote AMA 14 year old uh, Brock Lasseter, I've been working with for a while. He he did really well. He uh, he, he placed I think seventh overall in the. Uh, Six, no, maybe it was six, six or seventh overall in the uh, the schoolboy one class. It's a super highly competitive class. Yeah. Um, as you guys know, I mean, one of the Texas guys down there, Brandon Walter, he's he's he's, he's amazing. He's an amazing rider himself. But uh, I mean, to know that top, I mean, you've got the Joshua Varese kid. You've got, and all these kids are you know 16, 17 years old. So I was really happy with his performance. Of uh, you know, he went five nine five in that class. He was one that kind of he rode to what I, I expected him to ride to. Um, Grant, um, I think he had flashes of that. Yeah. I think all my guys on paper did better than they did the year before. But much like um, a parent, maybe I saw the the highest the highs for my kids during the years during the year. So I I, I had high expectations. Okay. Um, as did they. Um, so a lot of them left kind of bummed out. But at the end of the day. If we go and look at the results from last year, I think every, I know every single one of my kids plays plays better this year. Um, I know Grant left a little disappointed. Um, I think it, he had speed to win motos. I think, mm-hmm. like I told him, he he was one percent and and some racecraft away from winning two motos, in my opinion. Um, just making passes at different times um, or, or or being a little bit more methodical with line selection, I think could have put him in some wins. But he ends up with, I think he ended up with a. You know, he went end up with a couple of top five motos and I think yeah. a seventh and an eighth overall or something like that. But you know, he was kind of bummed because he wanted more. But you know, that's a kid that didn't he didn't top ten either B class last year, and he he was easily well inside the top ten every moto that he didn't fall over in the uh, in a highly competitive two fifty A class. Yeah, there's definitely some highlights or some positives to take away from that. And I saw him at Oak Hill a few weeks ago and. uh maybe a month ago and yeah he was flying yeah so it's good i mean it's especially to have him to kind of you know he gets to chase john and and, and he keeps john on us i mean he, cool that, that kind of he's he's running so yeah I, I really do like that texas crowd you guys got down there I really there's there's three kids that and i worked with uh rider floyd a little bit but i mean i, I think my main goal would be able to get rider up here full-time i know he's been in canada so it's been hard but to get those three guys here full-time and just kind of let those guys build off each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm really lucky with the group of kids I got this year. Um, I think Danny Kong for a living. Um, so I, I just really want to just continue with the kids I've got and, and see where they can all take it. Because, you know, it's so cool. I go to Loretta's, right? And, you know, after the motos, you know, we're talking or this or that, but like the kids are watching each other's motos that are down in the the, the starting line area saying, Oh, Hey, I just raised two motos to go. And they were, they were talking about lines. So oh, that's awesome. the fact that they had each other to fall back on, man, it really, I mean, it really made me feel good about everything and, and, and what's going on. And then the sport in general, and the, you know, and the, the kind of a family we built over the last, you know, four or five months. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I, I, I really was grateful to finally get a chance to meet you at Millville. I, I mean, I've heard you on, you know, main event and, course i actually i think i mentioned this i probably did meet you at swan at one of the pro challenges when jimmy came down and raced and just 
didn't realize that I'd met you, you know, but um, I really appreciate you yeah, coming those, on here. Those are, those, are, those are business trips, man. We go down there to make some money and get get in and get out. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you and yeah, and then yeah, or Jimmy and Kyle uh, Cunningham, man, would have some battles, and that was always fun to stand out there and watch how insanely fast that level of riding is compared to like when I go out and ride that track. <laughs> it's just unreal. No doubt. Well, we got the 13th national coming up. It looks like they moved it up. So that'll be fun to go down there. I plan on being in there Labor Day to hopefully see some good race. And hopefully a lot of people just, uh, they at least privateers just, just head down there yeah. up and head down there to make, make some money. Cause that's, that's one of my big pet peeves is, is I own that. We, when we had the race team, I get a lot of calls from, you know, agents or this person or that. Oh, well, we just need a shot or this kid, he needs a shot. And I'm like, well, then go, go race. Right. Pro challenge race. You know, if you're that fast, there's, there's not as many of them, but there's still, there's still a shot to make money. So yeah, they'll prove it. I mean, I guarantee you'll see John Short, Grant Harlan. You'll see those guys there because guess what? At the end of the day, they're professional motocross riders. Your job as a professional is to go make a living doing it. Absolutely. And those money races, man, that's, that's the, you know, how those privateers make some money is, you know, the, you're not making any money going to race in nationals. Nope, nope. So, and I tell you what, these bikes are expensive nowadays. But I tell you what, anybody can get financed, and you can't if you can't make a hundred and eighty dollar bike payment on your race winnings per month, then uh, then you you don't need to be calling anybody begging for a bike or a ride. Exactly. You well, need to get your ass to work. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you for taking some time for us tonight. Uh, at game underscore moto on Instagram, gamemotocoaching dot com is the website. Uh, Greg Albertson on Instagram also. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was really great to talk to you for a little bit. Yeah, no, it was great being on, and thanks for having me on. Um, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll catch up with Pro Challenge. Absolutely. I'll see you then, man. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. That's Greg Albertson. Um, yeah, really cool to talk to him, man. I'd like to get him back on and talk some more. He's got a lot of stories, I know. Uh, we were just running short on time. I got to take a quick break, and we'll get Andy Greg on. Be right back. Since 1998, Fly Racing has been focused on developing the best gear possible. With research and development, they have become a leader in safety and comfort. Fly Racing is worn by many of the top athletes in motocross and supercross, including Weston Pike, Blake Baggett, Zach Osborne, Andrew Short, Damon Bradshaw, and Adam and Tyler Antonap. Seven two Trey, I wear Fly you wear Fly Q. 2019 Fly Racing line includes the popular Light Hydrogen, the new Evolution DST line, the all-new women's light line, a redesigned F2 helmet, the FR5 boot, and Zone and Zone Pro goggles. Fly Racing also has hard parts for mountain bike products and snow gear. Go to flyracing.com or check out your local dealer for more info. If you're looking for top quality hard parts, you need to visit Torque One Racing. Torque One Racing has a passion for the racing industry and are a proud supporter of the Moto X Pod Show. Find the flow with Torque One Racing handlebars, levers, shifters, brake pedals, and grips. Torque One Racing is the title sponsor of the Moto X Pod Show, so support those who support us. Visit TorqueOneRacing.com and order your Defy Lock-On Grips today. Blood Lubricant Signature Products, Blood Power Sport Series, Blood Racing Pro Series, and Blood Racing Pro Elite Series were all created to bring out the highest level of performance and protection for all types of racing. From dirt track to off-road, motocross, supercross, and drag racing, bloodlubricants.com has what you need. Along with their oil lines, Blood Lubricants provides chain loop, degreaser, polyclean, and other top-notch products. Independent tests have shown Blood Lubricant oils to allow your bikes to run up to 30 degrees cooler. Give Jeff Green and Blood Lubricants a try 
and you won't be disappointed. Blood Lubricant sponsors of Tyler Powers, Team PRMX, Team TXS, and many other pro supercross and motocross riders. Visit bloodlubricant.com today. Next up, brought to you by Extreme Colors. If you're rolling up to the line with a custom painted helmet, it's one of the coolest feelings on the planet. Kirk Hunter has been painting helmets since 1989, and his prices never change. $295 gets you a professional, one-of-a-kind paint job. So contact Kurt at xkhelmetpainting at gmail.com or follow him on Instagram, Extreme Colors. But on the line with me, owner of Guts Racing Seat Covers, Mr. Andy Gregg. What's up, Andy? Hey, what's going on, Dark Side? Not much, man. Really stoked to talk to you. Um, I, you know, of course, I've heard you on uh, Daniel Blair's main event numerous times. Uh, I follow you on Instagram. I'm running your seat covers, but just really thrilled to actually get a chance to talk to you. And I want to talk to you a little bit about sprint car racing too. But um, let's let's talk about guts racing, man. How's that going this year? How's uh, just continuing to grow? You know, is it keeping you busy? Yeah, actually, a matter of fact, I mean, we are so blessed this year. I mean, we are. Um, like crushing it every month. So like this is what would be normally our slow time of the year is like July, August, uh, you know, September. And, and I mean, there's no rhyme or reason, but it's always been that way for years. And uh, right now we are, um, I mean, we're just pushing out numbers that would be equivalent to, you know, like an average, you know, month when, when we're not, you know, like a normal month, um, uh, like March or April or something like that. So, I mean, it's, and I mean, we're just so thankful for all the all the customers we have, and new customers, returning customers. But yeah, like right now, it's just been really good. So we're we're super thankful. Yeah. So you you have most. It seems like most of the top level teams in professional motocross, supercross, running your seat covers. Um, but then you know, I know there you you do advertising with Pulp Mimex, and you do advertising with Main Event. How much do you see um, like a boost? from promotion with those two shows because Steve's got an incredible following. I, I would assume you get a ton of, uh, his fans, you know, buying seat covers from you. Yeah, actually, um, his, his show has helped us the most, I would say. Cause I mean, we tried, uh, years ago with right before, right before we, we jumped on board with main event, uh, or I mean, I take it back with uh pulp, the first radio show that we, we started with, uh, with, Steve on uh, Pulp, mm-hmm. right before we went on there with him, I'd say it was about a year and a half before uh, we jumped on board with him. Transworld reached out to us and they gave us a promotion like, you know, run X amount of months at this discounted rate, you know, whatever it was. Like, you know, we haven't done any advertising in a while. Yeah. Um, and we just we just started really pushing our stuff hard with Mitch Payton and Post Circuit and his team. So, like, let's give it a shot. So, we uh, we got some good pictures from from Pro Circuit. We put together a nice ad with the, with the uh, ad department at Transworld, and I mean we even threw a little code on there to maybe help track it through our website. I, I kid you not, man. Not even one person. Really? Not one person used the Transworld code after running like six months or whatever it was, and and I mean we didn't do a full page ad like we can't we couldn't afford that, but we did the biggest ad we could afford at the time. And, and um, about that time, I got turned on to Pulp as just a, as a fan, you know, as a, somebody that just loves the industry. And I started listening, and um, I think uh, maybe DVD was on, or I don't know, some one of the teams that we helped, you know, and, and they kind of gave us a shout-out. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I started having some of my buddies texting me from all over the country, like friends from high school. Hey, 
it was a pulp show. Did you hear? You know, DV just gave you a shout out because <laughs> that was when he was uh, part of the Mother Concepts and they were in Yamaha's. And uh, you know, we were helping uh, helping those guys or. Or I don't remember. I'm not Mother Concepts. I think. Uh, oh, maybe it was. I don't. I don't know. It's been like years. I mean, this is years ago. And, and I was like, you know, I couldn't believe the hits I was getting from my friends about the show. And said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some digging on the Steve Mathis guy. Like, what's his deal? And so, uh, so I started digging on him. Found out some information. Um, I reached out to Eric at Works Connection. He's a really close friend of ours. And, yeah. Um, he he'd been advertising on the show and. So he gave me Steve's uh, information. I reached out to Steve, and that first Steve was kind of like, you know, just yeah, you know, maybe we could pitch in, and you know, whatever. And and I pushed a little bit, and was like, hey, no, I really think like we need to be part of your program. And and um, so he, he sent over his proposal, and and we jumped on board. And I mean, it was almost like overnight. I mean, I would say within within three shows, we had people starting to use our code, and. Uh, I, I just was floored. I'm like, okay, this is this is where marketing is going these days is podcasts and uh, live radio shows um, more than print media. So, um, so you know that that really got the ball rolling, and we've been super happy with Steve and, and his program. And uh, then Daniel started his show, and gosh, I've known Daniel since he was on Pee Wee's. I mean, right. I've stayed the night at his house. I've stayed the night at his house when we were kids. He stayed at my house when we went. You know, and vice versa. We grew up together, in, you know, about an hour and a half away from each other, and, and uh, would ride a lot on minis together. So it was only a perfect fit when he approached me, sent me the the uh, like pilot episode, and so I listened to that before we ever even went live, and told him I think he's got something good. Yep. And, and um, you know, it was cool. Like I don't, I don't know. It was just kind of a weird deal. Like when he first started. We didn't just jump on board like we weren't right right out of the gate like part of his program. It was more of like uh, a respect I feel like he had for for my opinion of his show, and uh, it was like one of those things like um, you know uh, he wasn't he wasn't coming to me like hey I'm your friend you have to give me money and you have to be on my show. It was more like hey dude I'm not expecting you to be part of my show just as far as an advertise as an advertiser, but I really think you know you're in the industry enough and you know what's going on um to be an asset to the show and so i was going on i started he started having me on as a guest long before we ever started advertising and this year we started advertising on the show and and uh, we're getting uh you know quite a few um people using his code now too so i like cool. i said i really think that uh this podcast stuff that like you're doing and, and everybody else is doing i really think this is the way to the future um, when it comes to uh, making people aware of your product, yeah, I think so. It you know, I mean, I honestly had never listened to a podcast until I heard Steve's podcast about three and a half years ago. Maybe I kind of just I remember seeing that the ads all the time in Racer X or Trans World, and just didn't even pay attention to it. And then all of a sudden, I listened to one because I knew Kyle Chisholm was on. Chisholm was my guy, and I've been addicted ever since. But um. Yeah, so if my research is right, uh, Guts Racing started in 1985. Is that right? Yep. So we um, uh, in '85, my dad, so my grandfather did furniture upholstery, like okay. you know, couches for old ladies and stuff, or whatever. <laughs> my dad was doing that too, and and uh, in '85, uh, you know, I was starting to race, you know, a little bit locally and stuff, and I and we saw a guy. I saw another kid seat, and was like, oh man, that's super cool, and. My dad's like, oh, I could just make that. So he made it, 
and then um, another ride saw, you know, and so on. It kind of snowballed it. And then in 1990 is when he broke off from my grandfather's business and got his own business license. So Guts Racing, the business license was was on the, you know, in 1990, but we we really started in 85. And from 85 to 90, he was making sea covers at night or coming in early or doing whatever, and then doing furniture upholstery during the day with my grandpa. And uh, then in 1990, that's when he looked at my grandpa and said, "Hey, man, I, this dirt bike thing has gotten so busy that I need to I need to branch out on my own and and uh, start my own business." And that's when we really, um, you know, sunk our our teeth into the to the industry and, and, you know, put our heads down and really, you know, got after it. And what, what do you think makes, um, you know, what do you think makes guts the best elite seats out there? Is, is it, you know, I mean, I, craftsmanship, uh, I know you guys have some, the seat foam is amazing, but like, what do you think is your, your biggest, um, the highlight of the company? Well, I think what, what kind of sets us apart is the way we, um, work on our fitment of our covers, you know, and, and I'm sure like, okay, it's like everything out there. You know, you got people that are, you know, oh, McDonald's has the best fries or Burger <laughs> King or whatever. So yeah. I know that, I know there's some people that might be listening to this and rolling their eyes. Oh, well, I can tell one of their covers didn't fit that great or whatever. But uh, I'm telling you that we, we install a lot of other brands of seat covers because where we're at here in Northern California, I mean, we're only 15 miles from Hangtown. I mean, we're in Placerville where the original Hangtown was. So uh, we there's a lot of dirt bikers here. So we get a lot of other brands of seat covers brought in. And they're becoming, coming from a furniture upholstery background, there's a right way and a wrong way of cutting your fabrics. And mm. so uh, there's a way that can yield more seat covers per roll of material, but you sacrifice your fitment. And, uh, you know, without without talking about other brands out there, other companies that have seat covers, you'd be surprised at how many other companies we manufacture their cover for them. Ah, so, okay. Um, because our fitment is so nice, or the reputation of our fitment is so nice that they pay us to brand their covers for them. So, uh, and, and it's kind of funny. Like that's where it kind of becomes funny. I, I see on a forum a guy says. You know, the guts he covered didn't fit, but I bought brand X, and man, it fit nice. And it's like, dude, I, we sewed that same seat cover too. Like, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of factors. Like a seat cover, like, to be honest, and to all the listeners out there, uh, and it's nothing against them, but most people at home are amateur seat cover installers at best, right? I'm terrible so, at it. Uh, you know what I mean? And and a lot of people that I talk to, they they run their stock seat cover. If I say, I know man, your bike is you know, a couple years old, you're still on the stock seat cover. The biggest fear is installing the seat cover. You know, well, you got a staple in, I got a staple gun, and I got this and that. And because there is kind of a technique to installing it. So maybe our seat cover didn't fit the nicest to your technique, but another guy installs that same seat cover and it goes on super easy for him because he understood the technique or he just got, you know, beginner's luck or whatever. But that's what we pride ourselves on. We pride yeah. ourselves on making sure the fitment is as best and as easy user-friendly as possible because the guys that we have here working for us that are installing seat covers on a daily basis, they, some of them don't even own their bikes. And it's, we, we, whenever we come up with a new pattern, we check fit it and we have them do the installation. And if they have a problem with it, 
we go back to the drawing board and and readjust the pattern. So a person that doesn't even ride a dirt bike should be able to install it, you know. So uh, that's what we pride ourselves on. You know, are we going to make every customer happy? No, and I understand that. And it's taken me a few years to understand that because I get really, I used to get really agitated when people would leave a bad review or <laughs> comment poorly on us because some like a lot of times it was just something very simple that maybe maybe if they would have pulled it here first before they did that move, it would have been a nine day difference of the installation. Yeah, they wouldn't have been uh, you know they wouldn't have been as mad about it, or maybe they're leaving something out of the equation like hey maybe their seat foam has deteriorated and they needed to replace their foam before they did their cover but it, you know it's not the cover's fault it's the fact that the foam needed to be replaced or whatever right yeah well i can attest so. to what you said a minute ago because i i got a seat cover for from you for my 15 honda and i tried putting it on and i just i couldn't get it on without there being a wrinkle in it i could not do it um, I watched YouTube videos on it. I was finally, I think I just emailed you or whatever. I was like, Hey, I, I'm just going to send this to you. Please fix it. Yeah. And it came back. Perfect. I just, I couldn't do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not good at stuff like that. Like I can't put graphics on without screwing it up. I don't have the patience for it. I just cannot do it. So I, but it came back fitting perfect. And I have one of your seat covers on my 06 Honda as well. And I think they're bitching. Yeah. And that's one thing too, that we do offer for, any guts branded seat cover, no matter where you bought it, if it came from a dealer, online, I mean anywhere, it can even be one that was bought secondhand at a yard sale for all we care. If it has our brand on it, anybody can send their seat to us and we will install it for free and ship it back. Uh, the only cost out of the customer's pocket is the one time shipping to us. Yeah. When we ship it back, we don't even we we eat the shipping on the way back. So yep. I mean if you're you know, if it costs twenty bucks to ship it to us that's all because we, we want our staff to, to look so nice that the guy pitted next to you goes, man, I want to get to because how nice it looks. So we will install our product any day, any day, anytime for free to make sure that it, you know, always looks nice. And, uh, you know, so that's one thing that, you know, for people out there to keep in mind that, Hey, you know, if, if you're not happy with the way your seats, you know, kind of fitting or whatever, it's not a problem. Just box that thing up ship it to us with a return address, you know, on there and a phone number and we'll, no questions asked. We'll take the thing apart, restaple it on, you know, make it, make it right. And then uh, ship it back on, you know, on our dimes. Cause yeah. that's, that's how much pride we take in our product. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Cause it saved me uh, a lot of headache. Um, so how to talk about, um, you know, the businesses, how do you, how do you get on your first, you know, factory team? How does that happen? How do you get your foot in the door? Um, so the way that really happened was, uh, I mean, gosh, years ago, uh, Chaparral, Yamaha, we were, we were on board with those guys, uh, with McGrath and, and we won the championship with them. And then, uh, like in the, I would say like in the early to mid nineties, we had, you know, a, a team here or there. And then all of a sudden the private label manufacturing just took off. Okay. And. Uh, we got so busy helping other people, I guess, quote unquote, build their empire that the guts brand kind of fell off. So then uh, I felt like we were kind of out of sight, out of mind. And one day, uh, a buddy of mine that's pretty deep in the industry uh, approached me with a seat foam that was super light. I mean, super light for JS7. And he said, hey, 
James is getting these made from some military place, uh, but they're they're not they're like tired of it. They don't have time to deal with it. Uh, is there any way you guys can do this? So we researched it, researched it, figured out a way to come up with these super light bulbs. And uh, me and another employee, uh, we hadn't been to Supercrosses in a while. Like I said, we got so busy doing private label manufacturing for everybody else in the industry mm-hmm. that um, uh, we kind of just didn't really need it. And then the tide started to shift, and uh, the people we were private labeling for started shifting from their manufacturing to China. So now our income was slowly starting to you know, our numbers are starting to drop and we were like, what do we do? Well, this thing fell in our lap about that same time. We're like, okay, here's our ticket to help build our brand instead of somebody else's brand. And uh, me and one of our employees, we, we grabbed a couple of seat phones and we just got on, you know, we just get on an airplane or get in a car and we, we just started going to all the West Coast rounds, walking through the pits, carrying this lightweight phone. And uh, some of the other teams, oh yeah, we already have a phone or some of the teams had bad experiences with them or whatever. And uh, I don't know why, but Mitch, just, um, he he took our phone. He was against it at first because of the problems he had. And I told him, I said, here's, here's the thing, you know, Mitch, we, we're new into this market. So whatever you've experienced before, I don't even know if my product's going to do, you know, cause those same problems. Right. I said, here's the deal. You just take one of these phones. And just please test it. And I said, you guys call me in a week and you tell me everything that's wrong with it so I can fix those problems. And he looks at me and he's like, you, like, you, you'll, like you'll go back to the drawing board to fix the problem. I said, yeah, we're not just going to give you a product and tell you that it is what it is. You like it or don't like it. No, we want, we want to make a product that's the best or as close to the best as we can. They wrote it and in seven days they called and said, well, how fix can we get? 15 of these we're like <laughs> that's awesome okay so it worked out oh yes we we really need it and uh, at the time i think kyle bentley might have been a mechanic still at um pro circuit and well then eventually he moved over to rch to be their team manager yeah and at another round i was walking through the pits and through long travel swamp years my path had crossed paths with uh kenny watson many a times and uh, he he saw me carrying a seat phone at one of the rounds. I showed it to him. They said, we're not interested. Well, eventually we get to San Diego, I think the following year, and I'm walking again around the pits with the seat phone. And Watson flags me over, hey, come up in the truck. I want you to meet um, uh, Kyle Bentley. So I met him, and, you know, Kyle was, oh, no, thank you. We already have this other guy we're using. We're happy with this product. I said, can I see it? Um, I kind of pointed out some features that ours had that his didn't have, um, some pros and cons to both. Um, to both, you know, the guy he had some stuff that he could offer that was better than us, but then we had stuff we could offer better than him. Mm-hmm. And same time, I just said, "Hey, let me just just ride my product." And I said, "Prove me wrong. Just tell me that my product isn't as good as his." Once again, a uh, couple weeks goes by, and get a phone call. This is Kyle Bentley from you know, RCH. We want to start talking more, and uh, uh, we just built a super good relationship with Kyle. And uh, the thing, the thing that I told myself with Kyle uh, personally was that 
And I told all my employees, I said, look, here's the deal with RCH. We are going to under-promise and over-deliver. And I said, that's the problem with this industry. I said, it doesn't matter if it's from the top, from the gear companies, all the way down to the guy that just supplies air filters, whatever it is. I said, I talked to these team managers, and they all say the same thing, that sometimes there's you have a company that builds the best product, but they're the hardest to get stuff from. Then you have somebody that maybe doesn't have good products, but they have good delivery. I said, I want to be the company that has a good product and a good delivery. And Kyle didn't, I mean, we didn't ask for Kyle to do anything for us, but the word started to spread to the other teams when, when they would say, hey, we noticed your guys are using the guts lightweight phone now. What's your experience? Because then all of a sudden teams are calling, hey, uh, RCH said that you guys are either the best or one of the best companies they deal with on their whole team. And uh, as far as your straight, like, do you say your product's going to show up on Wednesday? It shows up on Wednesday, if not Tuesday. Your product, uh, you give them the exact amount, and that amount shows up. Even if it's an amount that the team doesn't want, if they say, hey, we need 25 of this, and I tell them the best I can do is 10. Oh, That's, yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I'm real honest. And, and I said that that was really the key that got us going into these teams, uh, moving, you know, moving up the ladder. Uh, and another team that we had kind of a hip pocket that really – really helped, you know, you know, finish those deals with Christina over at Rock River. Because, I mean, we've been with her for so long. But she, um, she's always been a team. Rock River's always been a stepping stone team. Sure. So um, I, I feel like we had a great relationship there. They, they did. They do an awesome job. They, they always have done an awesome job for our brand. But – when RCH hired, even RCH wasn't, they weren't one of the top tier teams, so they had Kenny. Once they had Kenny on the team and they started winning some races and, and like really putting a stake in the ground, that that's kind of what propelled us and themselves was uh, having Kenny on the team. And um, I mean, Rock River, those guys, Christina, I mean, they, they know. They know their, that their place is a good Stepping stone for the lights riders. I mean, yep. They've had Colt, they've had Kurt Nichols, they've had or Colt Nichols, and uh, they've had other riders that have come in and rode their bike for a year and then moved on to you know the to Star Yamaha or wherever and Alex Martin and things like that. And uh, that's kind of where we were at. We kind of got to their team and it was kind of just it was awesome, but we just never got to that the next level of teams until. Um, RCH, RCH yeah. you know, took that step. And then in, um, when RCH said that they were, you know, closing doors, then, uh, I mean, Husky is, like, calling us, hey, uh, RCH is on the way out. Like, can we be part of your program? I mean, we had managed just one after another. And so um, that's kind of that's just kind of what got – that's really what got the ball rolling. It really started with Mitch, and then Mitch putting in a good word that when Kyle – reached out to Mitch and asked about our reputation. And Mitch said, we, um, you know, come through with what we say we're going to. That helped open that door. And it just, you know, that's really what got us going to the yeah. top-tier teams. Well, I think that's the highest praise you can get is having those teams telling other teams, you know, all those pauses about you. 
um, that, that says it all right there. Hey, I want to ask you before I let you go a little bit about sprint car racing. Um, so you grew up in moto. I know you, you know, raced 85s at Loretta's back in like 93, 94, but somewhere along the lines, you, you, you got it in a roll cage. Um, and you know, sprint car racing to me is the elite of motor of four wheel racing. I don't care about NASCAR. I don't care about Indy cars. Word of Outlaw, man, I grew up, you know, with Brad Doty and Doug Wolfgang and Sammy Swindell is my favorite driver. Like, that's what I grew up doing or watching. Um, how did you get involved with it, and what? why was there that transition? Well, here in Plattsville, uh, in the Sprinkler world, uh, Plattsville also has a sprinkler track here in town, and uh, some of the top drivers uh, back in the early 70s when the World of Outlaws were starting came from Northern California and they cut their teeth there at the Plasterville Speedway. Uh, Jimmy Sills or, um, gosh, um, I mean, Jimmy Sills, I'd say, is probably the most known driver from this area mm-hmm. uh, that came out of this area. Tim Green raced with the World of Outlaws. Uh, he, you know, a lot of, I mean, but a lot of guys, you know, grew up racing here at Plasterville Speedway and the World of Outlaws come to this track too and they run here at the Plasterville Speedway and my grandfather um, he raced in the late 70s early 80s on a sprint car and uh, my dad tried a you know, handful of nights you know, half the season or whatever but my mom and dad they uh, they were very young when I was born so uh, you know 16 17 years old when I was born and the only thing they could afford were dirt bikes so I went dirt bike racing and didn't get to do any of the karting or go karts or anything like that yeah uh, uh gosh I was like 98 or, or 99 somewhere around there I guess it's 98 I was trying to race uh, like arena cross and stuff like that and on the west coast here Jim Hawley and uh, this guy Robert Hanson they had kind of a west coast arena cross field that would run like Reno and it would run uh Sacramento and San Francisco and San Diego and just pretty much the West Coast. And I was trying to follow that a little bit. And I broke my arm at the Cal Palace in San Francisco on press day. And I was laying in the hospital. My grandfather came to me uh, when I got out of the hospital. And he said, hey, he goes, you realize that I haven't been to one of these dirt bike races since you're like 12 years old because you won the race and you did a no-hander. And he goes, I couldn't, I couldn't watch any, any time since then. He goes, if you want to get into a, a race car, I'll support you. Oh, and I was nice. still kind of on the fence. I'm like, no, oh, man, I'm going to be a Supercross racer. Right. So I was still kind of on the fence, but we went. Uh, uh, I was in a cast, and because uh, I broke my arm really bad, so I was in a cast longer than, than normal on this broken arm. And uh, so uh, we found this, uh, what they call a mini sprint, uh, 1200cc Suzuki Motors uh, mini sprint. We, we found one locally. We picked it up, and I was like, oh, we'll, we'll try, but I still want to I still want to try the, the the motocross thing a little bit more. So, like, I raced Tainz on that year and tried to, and, and, you know, was just off the pace because trying to come back from an injury. And, yeah. And then I started, I raced the mini sprint a couple times. I'm like, okay, you know, this is pretty cool. I was like, all right, you know, this is cool. But we're, we, we're, we would kind of run as, like, a like a sideshow to the sprint cars. I'm like, okay, these guys, these 410 sprint cars, then now this is racing. I was like, okay, there's no clutch, no transmission. <laughs> You're just, you. It's it's kind of like a speedway bike with with four wheels in a cage because I mean, speedway bike does have a clutch and you do a standing start, but you in a sprint car it's a rolling start 
your direct drive. So once you once they push you to start you, you're going. Yeah. And the brake isn't to stop you. The brake is to help. It actually helps the car transition through the corner. So uh, I'm like, this is cool. And uh, so I ran the mini sprint, a, you know, like a season and a half. Sold all that stuff. Saved every penny I had. Got a sprint there. And uh, it's just been kind of that's been my, my thing because uh, the beauty of a sprint car too is that, like, gosh, the world of outlaws, I mean, Sammy's still competitive and he's in his 60s. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's only that uh, age doesn't define who you are in sprint car racing like it would in supercross. I mean, gosh, by the time you're 25, if you're not putting it in the top five, you probably should start looking at, you know, looking for a job. And uh, in the sprint car deal, I can, you know, I'm 39 and I'm still more than competitive you know what i mean so uh and i, I just it's it's just a lot of fun i mean it's the most controlled chaos you'll ever be in in your life when you have 24 other drivers on the track and none of you guys have a you know a clutch and a, you can't just come to a stop if needed you don't know what the guy in front of you is going to do yep and it's just it, every every lap you're just holding your breath <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that's what makes it I I don't think so there's fun. any racing better in the world than when when there's a track where it's not just blue grooved and single file. If you, if a car can run down low and up high, there is no better racing than sprint car racing, in my opinion. Just watching those guys come through traffic and, and they fit those sprint cars. I mean, I tell people, you know, it's like they're doing 120 miles an hour around a track that's not much bigger than a like a, a high school track. You know, that you go walk a mile at. You know, it's like there, it's just unreal how fast those cars are in a three eighths oval, or or a mile even. But the three eighths is the one I, I love watching those guys just work traffic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just I grew up reading my dad's open wheel magazines and watching Sammy and Steve Kinzer just battle it out. And and to me, that's still honestly some of the be- to me the most fun times I have is going like the Devil's Bowl and uh, when they come and watching them just kill it i mean it's just awesome i love it there's nothing like that smell and that horsepower and i get out of the truck when i pull in the pits you know and they're out there hot lapping and it just gives me goosebumps yeah it's definitely something that uh like if, if somebody's never been to a race uh it it you, you you totally change your your perception and even like your desire then to go back like once you see a sprint race it's hard to, it's hard for somebody to say Oh, that's cool, and they don't come back. Like, right. Once somebody's been one, they're they're ninety nine percent of the time they're hooked because I mean, especially if you uh, go into the pits while the car's running or whatever, because then you have the methanol, you know, running <laughs> off alcohol, so your eyes start burning. And, and when you really put in perspective, you know what what it is. So you know the car weighs with the driver. You know we have to weigh fourteen twenty five. You have nine hundred and forty horsepower. You know you got. It, it, it just, yeah, I mean, I think we'll just, if you want, you can wheelie the thing anytime you want. Oh, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's not the fast way to go, but, I mean, that's, and it's a, you know, the engine's in the front, and, you know, it's just a pull-up wheelie at, at, at wheel is just, shows how much drive the thing has. Yes. I mean, they'll, they'll just squat the rear tires and go. Yeah, it's un, unreal, man. I, and, I, you know, I, I grew up all over the place. My dad was in the military, so we would go to uh, Chico and watch races. And I, I went to Ascot as a kid tons of times and saw Ron Schumann. Um, I'm sure anybody that's listening, they may not care about any of this. So I'll, I'll try to cut it off here in a second, but 
I'm just really impressed with what you do. I, I, I've always wished I had gotten in a race car. My dad raced dirt track modifieds and late models and never, ever got behind the wheel, man. I, that's one of my biggest regrets. Yeah, no, I'm so thankful that I've, I've gotten to do it. I've been able to uh, be pretty successful at it. So I'm very thankful for that. I've, I've been able to go to Knoxville and race, race the national. Oh, that's cool. In my life. That was, that was awesome. You know, that was 2014. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be competitive enough to put myself in a position to get the, the Knoxville Nationals rookie of the year that year. Awesome. Um, awesome. So, so, you know, and I've won at a lot of tracks here on the West Coast. So it, I've, it's it's been a dream. Every yeah. every time I get to drive it, I start to pinch myself. Even I've been <laughs> driving now. That's cool. So. Awesome. Well, Andy, man, I appreciate you coming on tonight, talking to us a little bit about Guts Racing, gutsracing.com, also a sponsor of the Pulpamex wrap-up show that I'll be doing tomorrow night. Um, man, thanks for giving us some time. And, um, you know, just uh, anybody listening, man, go get you a Guts Racing seat cover if you don't have one already. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, you have a good night, and uh, man, hopefully I'll, I'll get out there to the West Coast sometime. I want to sit in on main event at some point, and I'll, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you. Okay, perfect. All right, take care, Andy. Thank you. All right, you too. All right, bye. bye. That is Andy Gregg with Guts Racing, gutsracing.com. Uh, take another commercial break. We'll be back with Carson Mumford. Hey, Kylie. Does your husband have to deal with leaking shafts? No way, Kathy. He uses shock socks the original and number one 10-second removable fork sill protector. Looks like the best way to keep grit and grime out of your fork sills. So, if you don't want the headache and expense of constantly replacing fork sills, get Shock Socks. Go to shocksocks.com and visit them on Facebook to pick your color. And don't forget, they are available for street bikes too. Dark side here. Are you guys in the market for a set of new custom graphics? Are you tired of the same old basic layouts the big box companies offer? Well, if so, then you need to check out MX Girl Designs. From custom graphic kits, stickers, reproductions, and even vintage, MX Girl does it all. Call or text Char at 936-828-1472 or email Char, C-H-A-R, at mxgirl.com, and that's mxgirl, G-U-R-L and tell her Moto X-Pod sent you. What's up, Moto X-Pod listeners? This is Darkside, and as motocross racers, one of our top priorities is safety. That's why Allsport Dynamics wrist braces are one of my favorite products. Allsport Dynamics sees themselves as the Picasso of safety braces. Their passion for design and developing beautiful braces never stops. They've had the privilege to work with some of the largest names in the sports industry and have established a reputation for always bringing innovation to the table with every brace. For the pro chasing the championship or the six-year-old whose mom wants to avoid a broken bone, please try Allsport Dynamic Wrist Braces. Go to motocrosswristbrace.com or check out Instagram at wristbraceguy or call 936-569-1003 and ask for Jeff Brewer or Gary White. And keep in mind, these are the wrist braces that Justin Bogle, Joey Savacci, Weston Pike, Adam Cianciarello, Matt Gerke, and Brock Tickle wear in their pro careers. Check them out. All sports, dynamic braces. Powerband Racing is a suspension company dedicated to providing best service and products. They are committed to developing new products and improve your ride. They want your suspension to be the best it can be. 
They're based out of Minneapolis, and they're a WP Authorized Service Center and trusted by Ryan Sipes. Many bikes to big bikes. They cover them all. Power Band Racing has your suspension covered. Contact them at 320-983-3400 and follow them on Facebook or Instagram. And we're back. And our next guest is brought to you by the Moto X Pod Show's title sponsor, Torque One Racing. Torque One Racing is providing high-quality, economical performance parts. Check out TorqueOneRacing.com for grips, pegs, handlebars, shifters, brake pedals, and more. Johnny and Torque One Racing has a passion for the racing industry, so follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On the line with us, a guy who uh, just got done with Loretta Lenz, just got done with his first ever professional race at Unadilla, Mr. Carson Mumford. What's up, dude? Hey, what's going on? Not much. Really excited to talk to you. Um, we're going to get to Unadilla in a minute, but I, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, Loretta's first. Um, I looked at some of your results. I watched some of the races. Uh, you know, how do you feel about your, your week at Loretta's? I know it's not exactly what you wanted, but give me some positives that you took away from it. Um, it was, it was a pretty solid week. Uh, definitely was my best week for sure. But, uh, I had some really fast lap times. I think I had the fast lap time three out of six motos. So that was really cool. And, uh, we made some good progress on the bike while we were there. And, uh, overall it was good. I got two, uh, podium finishes, so. It was good. Yeah, you got you went two eight two in the two fifty pro sport class, and then seven seven eight in uh in the is that right the pro, yeah two fifty pro sport, and then the open pro what's the other one called the yeah open pro I think. open pro yeah uh, man, I mean there's some heavy hitters in that class though so like your your results you know maybe you didn't go one two three or you know but your results are pretty damn good for the the competition that's in that class right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, you come away. Like I said, you took some positives, um, and you can build into next year, right? Because you're still doing one more year as an amateur. Uh, honestly, I'm not fully sure what the plan is. I okay. Think, I think we're kind of leaning towards that, doing maybe another year amateur or a half a year or whatever the case may be. But yeah, probably still amateurs for a little while. How old are you right now, Carson? I'm 17. Okay, so yeah, you know. I'm kind of one of those guys that believes maybe you shouldn't even be able to go pro until you're 18 anyway. I think there's a lot of physical development still going on, mental development going still going on. And when they throw kids your age into that pro class, I feel like I've talked to you about this before. There's so much pressure that maybe another year or two being, you know, just where you're not forced to go do that already probably would be beneficial. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying for sure. I, I really enjoyed just going without a lot of pressure as kind yeah. of an amateur and getting to do the race and just seeing like, okay, I got to work on some stuff here and and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed that. I, I understand for sure. Just, you know, I'm nowhere near as strong as Cincerello or those yeah. guys. So I'm like basically in my own race out there just kind of in, in the mid-pack. But uh, it was cool just to like ride the track and it was a really good experience for sure. Yeah, like you you just mentioned, you know, not being as strong. There's I again, there's going to be some physical changes that happen as you kind of become an adult. Um and you know, when you are forced to go at 16 and a team your team that, you know, is paying you basically, they they want you to come race if you're not ready and 2 years down the road you haven't had the results that they want, then they're like, "Well, all right, you're out," you know, and I I just I think a couple more years to develop would be good. Um talk about so you raced a bunch of the Supercross Futures this year. I think you got hurt at Arizona. Is that right? 
I got hurt at Anaheim too in practice. Okay, okay. So yeah, I saw you at Arizona, then you got hurt the following at the following one. Um, so a lot of the, the amateur kids, they come in and they, like you, you did, you run a couple nationals and then they get thrown right into supercross. Now, my understanding is you do have a supercross track, but how comfortable are you at blitzing whoops? And I mean, do you feel like if you were to have to race supercross in 2020, do you think you would be comfortable with that? Yeah, I think I could do it. I, especially with like the team I'm on and a lot yeah. of that, I have a lot of resources that could help me. Um, I think it'd be really hard to do it as just a privateer amateur <laughs> coming to a pro ranks. Right. I think that'd be almost impossible because it's insane to learn how to hit whoops and stuff, but just not knowing. Like you almost have to crash to really realize like what to do. Yeah. So, yeah. I can see that. Uh, I have a lot of older teammates like uh, Pam Shire or Christian Craig or Jet Lawrence and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think that'll help me out a lot for sure. Just learning how to hit whoops and supercross and stuff like that. Yeah, you mentioned Jet, and I uh, I talked to Hunter at Millville. I don't know that – do either one of them have much supercross experience at all? Um, yeah, they, I know uh, Hunter Rode. He, he basically got ready for the season, and I think he got hurt like a few weeks before. Okay. But uh, they both come out and rode my track uh, quite a few times, So, uh, and they're pretty good. So um, yeah. I don't think they'll have too big of an issue. Well, let's talk about Unadilla, man. So, um, Unadilla, you went sixteen twenty for twentieth overall. Um, you know, but I picked you in fantasy, by the way. Got some good points, a few, some good points for me. I was happy with it. Um, you know, tell me about your experience. Was it fun? You know, you said it was kind of laid back. Uh, just give me, give me, the, compare that to what you're used to as far as like an amateur national. It's almost like the day goes by so fast it's hard to even remember everything because amateurs, you're sitting around, you're kind of, you might only have one 20-minute moto in a day in amateurs. So you're basically the whole day, you're just waiting for the moto, getting ready. For pros, it's it's almost like, I really enjoyed practice because I got to ride and like with the top guys and stuff where the motos, I was a little bit farther back, but it's, it's really high pace. Like you wake up in the morning early, riders meeting, you go get dressed, you do your two practice sessions, and then you kind of have a, a little bit of a gap in between that and the first moto. But right. even then, you're still just, you're really resting, you're eating as much as you can, and, uh, you know, you're talking about the bike and stuff like that. So, And then the first moto, you you uh, you don't have that much time. I think it's 50 minutes in between the first moto and the second moto. So that's, like, really quick. Like, I've never really experienced anything like that, especially with that long of a moto. I've only done one 30-minute moto ever before then. <laughs> I was going to ask you so, about that. It was really insane. So uh, that's just it's just a lot different. The day goes by super quick where amateur seems to drag on a little bit. Yeah, so you, you said that, you know, what you just said, it went by quick. But those 30-minute plus two laps and then doing it twice, when that, how was that for you? Like, did you feel like you were uh, – was there a point where you felt like, oh, I'm not going to make it? Or did you just kind of have to back it down a little bit? How was – the tie, the the length of the motos and doing two of them. Man, it was a really hard fought day for okay. sure. I, uh, I yeah, like I said, I only did one thirty moto before I went there just because I only had one week of riding to get ready. Yeah, and I didn't want to wear myself out before the race. So the first moto for sure, I I think I had a pretty solid twenty minutes in me. I had a good battle with uh, Kyle Peters, and then um, was kind of riding by myself, and Peter started to catch me, and then. 
I had like three laps to go, and I tried to put a charge on Bailey uh, for 15th, but yep. I couldn't get him, so I got 16th. And but yeah, I remember kind of like, wow, like where's the halfway mark, you know? <laughs> and then then I got the halfway mark, and it seemed like double as long till I got the two lap words. Right. I was like, wow, like luckily my mechanic had you know what position I was in, how many minutes left, but man, like. It was a long time, and then the leaders were. I think I finished. I finished 16th, and I was a minute and 45 seconds down from the leader at the end of the race. So, just think they get to the finish line way before me. So, yeah, I I almost was doing like a 37 minute moto, <laughs> and they did a 35. That's crazy. So, yeah, I, I can't yeah. do four laps. So, um, so what insane. what do you got to do? What do you what do you do differently now, um, training wise? Do you change anything so you can start preparing for that? Even though you may still be another amateur for another year, or do you kind of wait until you know? Okay, I am going pro and and start trying to, you know, uh, do a little longer and longer motos. Yeah, it is. It would be nice to know uh, when I so that way I can just get ready. Yeah, but I think. Even if I don't know, I'm going to start doing some longer motos and okay. stuff like that, just so I'm uh, for sure ready to go at any time I'm needed. Um, but for this weekend, it's kind of just kind of the same thing. Like I'm not going to ride this week. I'm just going to stay fresh and do some off the bike stuff, and then shut the butts, kind of ready to go, and then uh, just give them my all there. Did uh, Did Mathis come find you and and do any interview with you or anything? Uh no, I didn't see him there, but he uh, texted me, so I might. Mike talk on the Pulp Show next week or something. There you go. Yeah, you need to tell him, hey, uh, you know, I'm your I'm your number one amateur, so you better do yeah. po- you know I you better do a post race with me or you know he'll he'll come find you. You gotta just gotta hit him up. Yes, sir. So um, for sure will. What was the highlight of the day for you? Was there any one thing that was just like you know the best part of the day? I to me, I'm still a super fan. So when I go to these races and I get to see these guys that you know that I'm super that I'm a fan of, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Did you get excited to line up next to anybody or was there just anything in, or is it just another day for you? I tried to keep it as much of like, it's just another day. So I didn't kind of psych myself out, but yeah. I have to say there's one moment that stuck out. It'd be, I went out kind of like third in the second practice, like bar banged for third and then quickly made myself into the lead and got a good time in right away, and uh, um, I had, like, a decent size, like, five-second gap before the guys came around behind me, and uh, when I went over, like, the sky shot, that all, like, the people were, like, cheering for me and blowing the air horns and stuff like that. That's so cool. I never really experienced anything like that. Like you said, you're a super fan. I'm still a super fan, too. You know, I still, like, getting the pros jerseys and stuff like that. Right, so right. That was, like, super cool for me, and... Even my dad was saying, like, they're yelling for me when I come by. And then when I go by, they're like, Who, who's number 822? You know, like, <laughs> but they're still cheering for me. So I thought that was super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And how about the autograph line? Like, I, I'm sure you signed plenty of autographs before, but, you know, sitting there at a factory rig, uh, there's there's a pretty good line. I mean, what's were there people that, one, were there people that were fans of yours? Were there Pulp fans? You know, like, how was that experience? So... Since we are still amateurs, we didn't have posters. Oh, okay. Signed, so just uh, Chase and uh, RJ sign. Okay. Um, but uh, they said 2020 they'll have posters for us and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean that's 
like just thinking back, like when I was sitting, getting ready for my first moto and kind of enjoying that time, that would be when I would sign the poster. So that would be more of a high paced day. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I don't think everybody, you know, like a lot of the the casual fans or the fans that don't get to a lot of races don't realize how crammed everything is. You know, then Supercross is even worse, I think, is there's like you don't get much downtime. Um, You know, if I go to a practice race or or a local race or a practice day, I get off the bike, I need to calm down and I need to cool down for a minute. And you guys get off the bike and it's instantly, uh, you know, whether it be mechanics or team managers or suspension guys wanting to talk to you and there's fans, you know, outside the truck going, Hey, Hey, come sign this or, you know, and it's, it's like, yeah, it's very hectic. It's, it's, it really is a job. It's very busy. Um, you don't probably get a lot of time to enjoy it. So, uh, it's good that you get a little taste of it. I think, um, you know, Steve doesn't really like the new, the rule where an amateur kid gets to come ride a race, a pro race. And I see his point. I'm somewhat on board. If you're an amateur, you're an amateur. If you're a pro, you're a pro. But I don't think it's yeah. necessarily a bad thing for you to get a little taste of it. Yeah, and I, now that I think about it again, another kind of moment that stuck out for me is I was super destroyed after that second moto. You know, I was just sitting yeah. in the chair like, man, like, I gave it my all. My goal was to get top 20 in both motos, so I was really happy that I pushed through and got that. But I was sitting in the chair. And uh, they were taking, like, some classics off my bike, and I kept the front number plate, so that would be cool to have. But they they took the side plates off, and there was kids standing there, and they threw them to the kids, and they dogpiled and were fighting over <laughs> – they were fighting over 822 number plate. And I yeah. thought that was just the coolest thing. Like, like wow. Like, I've never seen any of that. Like, on an amateur race, you hardly even get asked, like, oh, can I have a side plate, you know? But those kids, they – they were like all like jumping up and down, like I want it, I want it. So they threw it out there, and they were like, it was a brawl for just a side plate. I yeah. was like, wow, that's like that's insane. Yeah, I you know those kids, man, they they head back before the two fifty race is over, and they're out there waiting. Yeah. And I see kids at the end of the day at the national I go to that have like armloads, bags of plastic. It's un like they have enough plastic for three bikes. It's crazy. Yeah, I was like. I'm like, I got 20th. Like, I can only imagine, like, when Roxton comes off the track, like, yeah. the amount of kids and, like, how, like, it's insane. Because, you know, I, I really, I, I did good for myself, but I didn't do that great considering, you know, Cincerello or Cooper or those guys, but they're still, like, jumping up and down for it. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, so I know Kiefer's a big supporter of yours. We've talked um, about that before. Um you know, have have you talked to Kiefer in a while? Does he give you any advice? Do you get to kind of visit with him any? I haven't. I kind of been traveling. Yeah. For like almost two months now, so I haven't been in Cali much. But I talked to him here and there, and he, you know, he just told me to have fun and cool. You know, just good luck, buddy. But uh, yeah, I, I normally I ride. I see him at the tracks, or I ride with him like every other week or something. Okay. Stuff like that when I'm in Cali, but you know, I haven't. I haven't really seen him too much lately, but I'm sure I'll see him as soon as I get back from Bucks Creek. Right, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. I think, you know, you you, you did the first one. You kind of know what it's like, and I, I think you're going to yep. improve. I, I, I see you, you know, moving up four or five spots probably at Bucks Creek. Um, Hopefully. Yeah, that'd be cool, you know, and um, yeah. got to get that Honda out there, man. Ride red, bro. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so what are your goals for the rest of 2019? Uh, I, I assume you're doing Monster Cup. 
Yep. Um, my, my goal is just for this weekend is to try and top 20 both motos again. And okay. Maybe I was close this weekend, but try and get a moto inside the top 15 if possible. There you go. Um, I obviously, I qualified really good. I kind of surprised myself. So try and uh, kind of just repeat qualifying, you know, almost top 10. To, so that was really cool. And then, uh, yeah, just I think uh, either it's still kind of up in the air. I I think the plan is now to just go home after Bud Streak. Okay. But uh, then uh, I just probably just start riding Supercross and stuff like that, getting ready for Monster Cup. And then seems like as soon as Monster Cup's over, get ready for Minios and yeah, kind of just like a never-ending cycle. <laughs> well, that, yeah, at least you're getting to ride dirt bikes, man. That's uh, you're living the dream. Yeah, I think you're. Um... You've got a good future ahead of you. As I've said before, you have a good head on your shoulders, and uh, it's really been cool to get a chance to meet you and got to visit with you and Ryder D at Vegas this last year. So uh, that was really cool, man, and I, I expect yeah. big things out of you, man. I, I, I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, Carson, good luck at Bud's Creek. Um, I'll definitely be – I can't pick you this week, so um, <laughs> I'll just be watching you and, and pulling for you anyway. Awesome. Thank you. All right, bud. Well, you be safe. Uh, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you, uh, you know, maybe after Monster Cup. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, bud. Be safe. Thanks. Cool. See ya. All right. Uh, one of the uh, the futures of our sport, Carson Mumford, uh, had a, I think he had a really good weekend, you know, is consistent, and it's just going to get better, I believe. Hopefully, a lot of these kids that, you know, I've become fans of and had on the show, I want to see them do well, you know, Ryder D and Jet and all those kids. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to be a wrap for episode 133. Again, look look for if you're on Patreon, if you're already a Patreon supporter, we're going to have the hopefully Thursday. I'll have that show done with the the ladies, and I'll get that thing posted. It really is just comes down to whether I can get it scheduled with Jennifer Martin. She's been real busy, but once I get that thing done, I will post it on Patreon for a week before I post it on the show, so you can get that early. Uh, again, email me if you're interested in the women's light hydrogen gear. I want to pick a, a good deserving winner. That's motoxpodshow at gmail.com. Uh, and hey, if you're if you listen to the wrap up show, if you're a fan of it at all, do me a favor and send an email in or a voicemail to Pulpamex. Let them know you guys like it. Uh, I get lots of positive response on Twitter and Instagram. But I don't know how many of those Steve's getting, you know, on the for he may just be playing the negative stuff just because he likes creating the drama. That's cool. But yeah, let him know you like it. Let's keep this thing going. I like doing it. So uh, I appreciate all your support. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, don't know when TJ's going to be back in studio. I was supposed to have some in studio tonight and it fell through. Uh, but we'll be back next weekend with another show. And thanks for listening. We're out. <laughs>